Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Evening, local politics fans. It's the last chance for us to dig into council business before everyone starts to pack up and go on holiday. So, um, yes, we have a, a, a packed agenda of um, all things good that are coming to the council chamber this Tuesday for us to give you the almost like the, the match of the day highlights before the uh, before the match even kicks off. So um, how are you, Simon? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing fine, thanks, um, Ian. It's um, we've got the kind of the end in sight, as you say, for the for the summer. But um, yeah, I, I'm doing okay. If anybody can hear any kind of motoring noises in the background, I, I don't think you can. Um, but that will be because some people seem to think that we live in Brands Hatch. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, the entire uh, Cosham Drayton side of the hill kind of has become over the last few weeks has become a regular racetrack for motorcyclists um and despite multiple angry posts by neighbors and local councillors expressing their concern um it would seem despite the fact that they gather at the appropriate time yeah okay everybody see you at six o'clock well we're going to drive irresponsibly at the moment the police seem somewhat powerless to intervene and uh yeah we've spent uh our summer is be uh it, it is being played out to the uh background of racing motorbike noises which um yeah i don't think it's making either of us particularly warm and fuzzy is it silent no no um i just hope that everybody keeps safe um because um it sounds like they're not really driving that safely to be honest but there we go anyway moving on indeed so this episode one more episode we've got an absolute blockbuster next week haven't we we have the man himself steve pitt is coming to join us for a a uh a, a, an insight into life as council leader but before then What's on the agenda for this week's council? Um, yeah, so um, so the agenda um, for um, for the full council on the eighteenth. Um, there's some things there that we um, that we wanted to talk through. Our normal thing is going through the notices of motion, which is where um, the various groups on the council have um, have submitted uh, things for the for the council to discuss. Um, so, um, funny enough, the first one, which is um, item ten A. On there is um, neighbourhood policing matters, which has mm. uh, been put forward by Councillor Lee Hunt and Councillor Darren Sanders from the from the Lib Dems. Um, so, um, good grief, that can't possibly be relevant. Um, so, um, yeah. So, essentially, this this motion talks about um, about how the Hampshire and Isle of Wight constabulary serving Portsmouth is disadvantaged by uh, by the current funding formula, um, and is un- and the claim there is that it's underfunded. To the tune of um, nearly uh, 42 million pound compared to the national average um that the hampshire and isle of White police federation um have commented that um hampshire and isle of White is underfunded um to, to that amount and um stating that its members uh, say that morale is low um so the, the motion is is calling on um also for um notes that it's re- it's regretful that um successive police and crime commissioners have 
closed police counters across Portsmouth, in, including uh, the one in, ones in Cosham, uh, South Sea North End, um, and City Central. And now the only publicly accessible counter is um, is on the airport industrial estate, to which you have to have a car or, or bicycle. You have to have your own transport to get to because it's not served by by any public transport. Um, that the Police and Crime Commissioner precepts in recent years, in, in, um, in 2021, it was 7.1%, and in uh, and recently it was 6.34%. Uh, um, noting that the council um, concerns that despite ongoing police precept increases at, at um, police and public meetings across Portsmouth, residents describe how, um, and I'm quoting, nothing seems to have changed. Um, how they are kept waiting on 101, which is um, indeed something that was mentioned when we went along to a local police and mm. Crime Commissioner meeting um, in um, in in Cosham in um, sorry on the Highbury Estate where um, where um, Police and Crime Commissioner for Hampshire Neil White Donna Jones was was present and a couple of weeks late after that we had um, her deputy Terry Norton onto the show to talk about that um, sites about. Um, um, there being some good stuff, which is about the um, investigation into high harm, county lines, crimes, uh, citywide safeguarding cameras, um, and the creation of a permanent post within the current budget for, of a specialised antisocial behaviour officer. Um, but fundamentally, it's saying antisocial behaviour across the city is overwhelming our local neighbourhood policing, uh, policing teams. Um, and therefore, the council invites the... Uh, the police and crime commissioner and the chief constable to a future meeting at the council to inform the council about the current state of recruitment and retention uh, for police staff and PCSOs um, and specifically how many extra police each part of the city is going to be getting, um, how neighbourhood policing is going to be involved. Um, this uh, should be through the extra neighbourhood neighborhood policing officers and that should be reflecting people's priorities, how 101 is going to be improved um, and how they will open accessible um, police public contact counters um, in the accessible locations in the north and the south of the city. So essentially mm. it's saying, hey, antisocial anti behaviour is a thing. There have been some things that are a bit better, but the money that you've asked for that's a share of the council tax payments or the total council, ta council tax bill has gone up. What's happening with that is essentially kind of what this motion is saying. Yeah, and it's, it's one of... It's one of those interesting motions, isn't it, where, uh, you know, we call upon the council to change something that's outside of the council's control. But I think there, there, there are there are some nuances and subtleties to this. And, and it, it, it feels a little bit of a machine gun approach to sort of, you know, well, there's this and there's that. And there's so, I mean, I, I struggle a little bit with the well, they closed down the police stations. Well, you know, ultimately. Uh, the, the the reason for that will be funding and will be a case of, you know, well, you, you know yourself, if you've got small teams dotted all about the the island, you know, those premises have to be kept open, they have to be staffed, they have to be heated, lit, and obviously there is now the major centre in Airport Service Road that was referenced. It's just a more efficient way to police the city. Um, you know, they're the, the kind of it, it all feels a bit 1970s that the, you know there should be a desk that you can go and talk to somebody well I, I get that when you had to go to the call box at the end of the road with your 10p pieces to call someone but really is that is that really a thing I'm not sure that it is 
But the antisocial behavior thing, if I just change tack very quickly, you know, that came up in all of the hustings this year, didn't it? And and appeared to be a hot topic with every councillor and every prospective councillor that we spoke with. Um, but I'm not sure that I, 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 it feels like the answer, you know, because I think we asked a few questions, didn't we, about is it enforcement or education? Um, and I, I felt like the vast majority of those folk weren't weren't looking for strict enforcement. Um, well, I mean, I think antisocial behaviour is a. I mean, you can you can probably get take that as simplistically or as uh, complex complexly or as complicated uh, as you want. Um, on one side of the argument, it's quite simply a um, because there isn't enough of a visible police uh, presence and a deterrent. Therefore, therefore, um, to be honest, people keep for want of a better phrase keep pushing their luck and they and get more and more confident i could use the word confident other people might use words like Larry. Yes. um um and more of more of a more of a nuisance so there could be that there's all from the other end of the argument there's the okay what what alternatives are there for you know if if because not all antisocial behaviour is is from groups of young people for example are there are there other things that that, that you know that are there other social events or things that um places that they can go where they can uh where they can uh, effectively um entertain themselves or use that use their time more effectively so i think there's kind of different things around that and some of that is about organization some of that some of that is about funding but i think the thing that kept coming up from the people that from the members of the public that we that we heard from and indeed at that public meeting was it it just seems that there isn't enough happening to to be that deterrent to stop it and it feels that the police teams that we have are very, very stretched. They're working very, very hard, um, but they're fighting fires. I mean, not literally, obviously. Yes. That's yeah. a, that's a that, you know that's a different department. But but they're they're having to kind of run around trying to trying to kind of do all of these things. But at the same time, we can't hark back to the times of the seventies, for example, where you know you'd have a you know this this kind of nostalgic memory whether it's true or not of you know there being a local bobby that you knew the name of that was on every kind of every street corner or whatever that you know th those those times have gone um and there are other ways other much more effective ways for our for our police to um um to be exercising their their role in society which was some of the things that that um that terry horton uh, terry terry horton terry norton was was yeah. talking about uh, when it when he was on when he was on the show, so there was there was a lot of that about that. But alongside that, there is that fundamental frustration of when you call through to one hundred and one because you know it's not you know it might not necessarily be a um, an urgent crime or it might not be a crime in progress. But you're you know that intelligence of those things happening. Your there is all these ways where you can feed that information into the police. You can email them. You can you know yep. you can go to their you know to their website or to their to their app. You can email you know all of, all of those ways. But if there's if there's no officer at the other end to interpret that information within a within a short time scale, the opportunity and what that was one of the examples that was cited from um, one of the local residents. Um, on the Highbury estate wasn't it was that they observed something happening in the, in um, on their driveway and actually because kind of a, a follow-up wasn't um, wasn't kind of um, took up in time for yep. that one of their neighbors actually had their, had their you know had their had their car stolen so well, it's it's those it's those kind of I think it's those kind of things maybe people are seeking the in-person if they feel that they can't get through any other way 
Yeah. But there will yeah. be a lot of people that are quite happy to report digitally um, well, when that works. Yeah. And I, I just, I mean, it's a much bigger question. And I think there is, you know, if I, if I look at our current predicament that we have here with the antisocial behaviour of the bike racers, you know, the bike racers will meet every Thursday and every Saturday, six o'clock at the tax office. They will then race their motorbikes, you know, along the hill from the Hillsy roundabout up to IBM, through Paul's Grove, up across the top of the hill, back down through Drayton. And they're going to do that from six o'clock till eleven o'clock. They make or, or later. They make no secret about that. There is no shame in what they're doing. You know, there is it, it is you know, and the police have been present, you know, but it's not a visible deterrent. And I, I do wonder whether, you know, that there, there is, as you say, there is an element of, you know, the the police being a a, a visible deterrent. But I think the, the world has moved on. And the, the I know my rights, you can't touch me. I don't think it would actually matter how many police officers you had i think societally there isn't that that there is and again i'm probably going a bit deep here but i i do wonder whether you know doesn't matter how many officers you get a if you know people aren't going to respect and behave reasonably and b and i've brought this up before and i know i'm going to sound like a daily mail reader which i don't but you only have to look at in the courts in the Portsmouth Evening News to find, you know, somebody who's robbed a dozen convenience stores and threatened the staff with pointed instruments and, you know, with violence. And they 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 get a 10 week custodial sentence. They'll be out in five. You know, there is an element of one I was reading the week, you know, the the. The person was caught dealing Class A drugs in Commercial Road in 2021. He eventually was jailed for four years after they found a lot of Class A drugs in his house. Um, and the aside at the end was, oh, and he had been arrested for dealing Class A drugs, you know, at sort of six month periodic intervals up until that trial. And so I kind of, you know, you talk about police morale being low. Um, you catch somebody brazenly, openly dealing Class A drugs. You find their supply. You take it off them. It takes two years to come to court, and they get a custodial sentence. But in the meantime, they're making their living dealing Class A drugs. It must feel like like trying to, you know, it's a we in the sea. The ability that the police have to 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 a stop this and b. You know, they catch the criminals and the courts slap them on the wrist. Um, um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a whole. It is a whole, whole other thing. Show. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Um, I mean, like you say, you know, the the sentencing is is something even further out with of of the council's remit. But from a point of view of what this motion does, once you kind of get through all the, you know, obviously the the wording of how that, you know, how that kind of makes its case. But essentially, yep. it's saying, "Hey, can we have some updates on what's happening with these things?" Um, 
that um i mean that seems quite a you know i mean to be honest on the yeah. face of that that's that seems quite an, an, an eminently reasonable thing what we see in the later motions though is interestingly enough the the actions that this motion's calling for doesn't set a time limit for that meeting to happen no no um, so i so, think per um, perfectly reasonable to ask the question yeah. how are things going you know when's 101 going to be fixed as you say you know in our deeply probing investigative journalistic way um we discussed that with terry norton who accepted it it wasn't as it should be and that's many months ago so i think you know for me it, it's not a it's not a bad motion to ask the questions i think it does set up a few or oh, isn't it terribly sad that the horrible conservatives cut all the police numbers well yes we can all do our heads head shaking at that and wouldn't it be better if but i think the the you know some of the premise that's being sort of hinted at there which is if only there were lots more police officers then all of this antisocial behavior and portsmouth would be a nicer city to live in i i am not sure that unless you want to go a long way down an authoritarian route that um that you will see quite the societal change just by having 10 or 20 more police officers and a little counter in Cosham High Street. Oh, I, I, I think I think those I think those are quite interesting extremes to try and kind of draw together. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, so um, just to remind um, listeners um, or viewers that are, that are watching us on screen, the QR code in the top left hand corner of the screen is actually the link to the agenda for uh, PCC's full council meeting. So if you want to read ahead, um, then you can, um, but also you'll see the link there for you to be able to watch the live webcast um, on Tuesday afternoon of the actual council meeting itself. So um, please do avail yourselves of that. So the so the next um, so the next motion um, is um, is from um, is from Councillor Graham Heaney and Councillor Charlotte Gerada, who are um, from the Labour from uh, Portsmouth um, Labour Group. So they're um, they're calling for um, the to save Portsmouth Stroke Recovery Service. Um, so their motion talks about there being 1.2 million stroke survivors in the UK um, and how stroke can impact anyone at any age and any time. And it's actually the fourth biggest killer in the UK. Uh, Portsmouth City Council has funded the Stroke Recovery Service um, delivered by the Stroke Association for 14 years. Um, and um, the um, the stroke survivors and their families have raised concerns about the planned closure of the Portsmouth Stroke Recovery Service, uh, which was announced in April this year um, uh, for closure in uh, in June. So there was a short temporary extension um, announced in May to extend it till the end of December. Uh, but essentially, this uh, this motion is pointing out that this service is a is a lifeline to memory. Uh, sorry, it's a lifeline to um, to many, um, and um, that um, Portsmouth residents should receive. Um, adequate support and access to, to vital services after a critical illness and is calling on the the council to um, extend its funding um, to the stroke recovery service for the next five years um, and to review its uh, review its budgets and uh, budgets and consider the wider financial economic and social um, and well-being impact of closing the service uh, that uh, that impact that, that would have on local services such as mental health um, social housing um, and adult social care um so i guess it is there it's trying to make the case that you know if you trim this where do those people that need that help end up showing yep. up elsewhere in the in the in the system um and it's calling on the council to further investigate and fully understand 
what the service provides stroke provides stroke survivors um, and their families as the program is not something that can be found in other services um, or the NHS so uh, so I guess for me kind of the the kind of if this is something that really really works where, where's the call to champion that mm. it's good that we've got that as a local thing and that's been going for for this period of, of time obviously that the council that the administration will will have a response about whether that's something they can um, look to continue the funding of or, or, or deal with um, but if it's that good then shouldn't that be something that we're championing you know that someone should be writing a letter to you know one, someone should be called surely calling on one of our city's mps to to make that a more widespread um thing across the across the country and then maybe get that funded by the nhs instead of uh, by the local council well and i think this this is one of those awful situations isn't it simon where you've got something that is that is valuable and useful but it falls in between the cracks you know it's not the NHS. It's not adult social care. So it sort of falls to the third sector with council support. And I, I, I think this is this is a really difficult one because, you know, without knowing in depth what the service provides and what it costs, it, it's very difficult to comment. I, I do find it, you know, a little bit frustrating that, you know, council budgets were only agreed back in February. Um, so, you know, it, it, if this was, you know, if closure was announced in April, then for me, if this was such a valuable service, then, you know, it's got to get into the budget. But there's an element of the, the money's got to come from somewhere else. You know, there isn't infinite money. So I, I, I kind of would have loved this, this motion to have, you know, and I'm a little bit, you know, like the previous one, kind of harking back to what should have might have happened. There's a part of me that says, well, why wasn't this raised in February? Um, well, that's, I mean, even even before February, because that was the the full council budget meeting yeah. uh, was was then. But um, the conversations about about funding take you know take place in in the run up to that. So um, yeah, it, it's um it, it's an interesting point. Um, Obviously, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what the administration's response is. Mm. Um, I guess the the simple the the again the there's always the the temptation for the simplistic the simplistic thing is there's the, this is a this is a I'm sure a worthy valid and useful useful cause. Yeah. The the question is where can the you know if the if the funding for this is is budgeted to end in, in December where can the money be found um in order to it to extend that so you know again that's that'll be well, interesting to, to see yeah. what the administration have to say yeah and i think that's what we we can't comment on this one more, more mm. than that really simon because there's an element of you know well if the money's now there to december effectively if everyone believes this is a good thing we've got to find the money to get it from december to april and we make you know all parties make sure that it is a line item on the on the budget for you know for next year so um we'll, we'll see what happens with that one um indeed we shall we shall watch it closely um so the so the next thing um on the agenda so uh 10c the, the motion there 
um, from um, from George Fielding and from Mary Vallely um, from Labour, uh, both from Labour, um, is about continuing support for Portsmouth Pride. Now, um, in our um, recent episode that we had um, looking at uh, looking at um, the week after Pride, um, and we had um, uh, we had um, Tully on, um, who was a member of the, of the team organising Pride. One of the things that that she'd mentioned was was of course that Portsmouth Pride is one of the few. Uh, pride events that's actually not a fen- ring fen- you know fenced events is not you know there's not charged so it is free to attend um the motion here um cites that there's been a sharp increase in hate crime towards lgbt plus people in particular towards the trans community in recent years with um uh with homophobic hate crimes um more than doubling and with transphobic hate crimes um increasing by 240 percent um in the last 12 years um but in portsmouth from 2017, where an estimated 500 people attended Portsmouth Pride, this year there were an estimated 30,000. So certainly a very, very successful mm. event. And, and indeed, we'd, we'd commented on that in the show. Um, and in South Hampshire, there are five Pride events, and Portsmouth Pride is the only large-scale event that is um, is free and unfenced. So this motion is calling for the um, the cabinet to to formally commit to to making a, a financial contribution to Portsmouth Pride Trust as one of their four main partners. So that's an interesting thing, one of their four main partners um, for at least the next five years. Um, so Portsmouth City Council aren't the only organisation uh, that's the source of the, the, the funding for the event, but um, is a contributor um, towards it. Um, I'm requesting that the Cabinet explores the possibility of including Portsmouth Pride as a line item um, in the budget. Um, to provide security and consistency for the for Portsmouth LGBT plus community, um, and to request that the leader of Portsmouth City Council and all group leaders write to Portsmouth Pride trustees and volunteers to thank them, volunteers to thank them for all their hard working making Portsmouth a a, a visible destination uh, for LGBT plus uh, people um, in the southeast. So, again, this is you know um, it's calling for a you know, for the for the council for the administration to make a response um, in order to make a financial commitment, um, but it, but again, but this one is slightly different in the sense that it doesn't. It's not the council that are wholly funding this. Obviously, they're only one of uh, one of four uh, contributors to the event. Yeah, I, and this is a, this is a tricky one for me, Simon, because you know there's absolutely no doubt about how. You know the pride event has grown it's very popular you know it is a lot it, it, it appears to be a large community event um but there's an element of of you know what is portsmouth pride is it a community event um you know tally on the show you know, basically phrased it as a as a protest movement um and for me if it's a community event then i, I think it it you know it, it's it's fundable in the way that all different community events are fundable. Um, if it's a protest movement, I, I'm not sure that it's the role of council to fund protest movements. Um, I mean, that that's um, one point of view. I mean, I, I feel that it would be, um, and again, obviously the administration will, will give their response, but... Um, I think it's important that the, the council um, does what it can to uh, to provide an opportunity for pe- for the demonstration that Portsmouth 
is this, it can be a safe place yep. for members of the LGBT plus community and and therefore is, is encouraging um, that community and that ev event celebration um, for the you know for you know for the nature of that commitment it's a uh, it's a fantastic event um, obviously very very successful um, with lots lots of people um, uh, attending but you know very very large event um, and um, and in that case um, you know personally I'd, I'd like to see it continue as a free event it would be a shame that it becomes something that that has to be ticketed um, because I think that diminishes the the power that it has in bringing the community together uh, but we'll see what we'll see what the administration yeah. has to say yeah, no, and I think that there is an element of obviously it is the exception, not the norm for it to be a free event. I, as I say, it, it, it is mm. a, you know, and again, don't take my sentiments as being anything other than it seems to be a very popular event. I, again, there's another little bit of me, though, that is doing the, you know, we agreed the budget from April the 1st. We're, we're, and by mid-July, we've that's two motions now to add two lines to the budget that's that all the parties agreed on only you know not that many months ago and that's an that's an interesting point because what what does that kind of highlight from a perspective of how the how you know how the how the budgetary negotiation goes on between between the various groups on the council mm. when that conversation starts what sorts of things are included in it and and is it you know are we now at the point where every year basically you're you're in a in for want of a better word, a financial bun fight um, in order to kind of secure an agreement for the budget for the next financial year, but perhaps not necessarily kind of looking to the long term. Is that is that well, a, a demonstration of poor planning or is that just a demonstration of you, you don't, you know, the things are so um, dire financially that you don't have a chance to take a more longer term view and therefore you are ending up in a situation where you're firefighting but I would have thought yep. it's quite logical to challenge and put it point out things that are due to end or expire or change in the current uh, financial year that you're discussing because that's what the point of the budget debate is well, that's what the point is of that that whole conversation that takes place in that budget I round absolutely and and the danger for me is politicking isn't it you know and again that we, we've seen that in the past and i i uh, i think it wastes time at council you know the, 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 again i got frustrated for a couple of years with labor calling on the lib dem administration to pay the living wage to every you know as a minimum to every person and the lib dem administration explained how they couldn't do that without massively cutting services um but that kept coming back you know, under the banner of the Lib Dems don't want to pay people a living wage. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of politicking, perhaps both very worthy causes in this case. Um, what have we got next on the list? So uh, so next on the list, uh, so 10D um, is improving accessibility in Portsmouth uh, taxis for disabled people. So oh. um, so another motion from uh, Charlotte Gerarda um, and uh, Yinka Adenaran from uh, from Portsmouth Labour. Um, so this one's talking about over one in five uh, people in the UK are disabled. That's over 14 million across the country. Um, and um, in Portsmouth, there are um, nearly 17,000 people who have a disability or long-term health condition uh, that limits their day-to-day -day activities a lot. Um, there's a further 23,000 people um, who have a disability or long-term health condition that limits their day-to-day -day activities a little. So that equates to 19% of people in Portsmouth who have some sort of uh, disability or long-term health condition 
that meets the definition of a disability under the Equalities Act uh, 2010. There's a Portsmouth Disability Advisory Group um, that was is. established at the end of 2022, which I'm sure you can speak of in a minute. Um, and uh, many uh, people who use wheelchairs or mobility scooters have spoken of their difficulties accessing transport in the city, um, including taxis. It talks about everyday journeys to uh, work, to school, to see families and friends and to access essential services um, like healthcare. Um, a fraught with uncertainty for uh, for many uh, disabled uh, people. Uh, and although there are taxis operating in the city that can accommodate wheelchairs and drivers who are willing to assist, this seems to be in a limited supply um, and there not being enough, especially accessible taxis uh, during uh, peak periods. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Um, and um, it goes on to mention that 99% um, of buses, for example, now meet the minimum um, accessibility standards um, but the proportion of wheelchair accessible vehicles in the taxi fleet is 58 percent um, and two percent for private hire vehicles um, and these figures have actually been falling since 2014. Mm. Um, so um, yeah so it, it, point, it goes on to point out about um, disability organizations who highlight how disabled people are disabled by society as a consequence of their impairment uh, and a consequence is that disabled people can unnecessarily be isolated and therefore um, excluded so it calls on the licensing committee to commission a review into the level and availability of wheelchair accessible taxis in the city um, such review to be undertaken and reported on within this municipal year um, so that's before the uh, before next may um, including its policy uh, that may limit or control the number of hackney carriage vehicle licenses it issues uh, with the aim of improving licensing policy to increase accessibility for taxis increase in excess accessibility in taxis for disabled people uh, and to ask the licensing committee to explore and report on how it can increase the take-up of disability awareness training uh, for taxi drivers in the city uh, and also a group um, ask group leaders to attend meetings with members of the disability advisory group and also to invite ask the leader to invite members of the disability advisory group to the transport liaison group um, to improve collaboration between transport providers and disability representatives which um, seems an mm. eminently sensible uh, proposition so mm. so full disclosure i am a member of the disability advisory group um, and i have been communicating with charlotte on this motion um, so it, it is a it is a problem um, and it's a problem in a number of dimensions. There's a lot of focus here on wheelchair accessible vehicles um, and there is a shortage. Um, there is also a, a bit of digital exclusion going on. Um, we effectively are a taxi duopoly in Portsmouth. There's Uber or Aqua. Um, both of them primarily now operate on a smartphone kind of computer basis rather than you picking up the phone and booking a taxi so there are a lot of issues here and i think charlotte's tapped into to something which is a very real problem for a lot of disabled people i think there's also the dimension of you know one of the challenges of running a wheelchair accessible vehicle is if you are an owner driver they are by their very nature larger vehicles they are more expensive to run and you know as is appropriate you can't charge disabled people more for the same journey so i think there's lots of things to explore here i think there is you know i, I will take my hat off to charlotte for bringing this one forward 
Um, in fact, I think there's so much in this one. Um, you know, my hope is that in our autumn season, we'll be able to get Charlotte and perhaps a couple of my fellow DAG members on to the show. And we'll, we'll give this one a deep dive. But I think initially um, starting this, this whole unpicking of, of accessibility for transport in Portsmouth, I think is a, is a really good move. Okay, so yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully we can we can talk um, with some positive news about about that in future. Yes, uh, but yeah, I, d I don't think there's surely there's nothing in that one that, that anybody no. would disagree with really. So I no, it's going to be a no. Sadly, sadly, I was asked to go and make a deputation to council, which would have been my first on Tuesday, but unfortunately, work commitments means that I couldn't be there. But um, yeah, I, I'm no member, fellow member of DAG, who's a wheelchair user, is going to go down and talk. So. Uh, and I, I think there is uh, that all of the group leaders, I would hope, will get fully behind this. Um, indeed. So, um, so um, the next one is ten um, F, which um, oh, sorry, ten E. Sorry, beg your pardon. I've got my um, I've got my. So we've got E and F to go, have we? And then a yes, little... yeah. So yeah. Um, so ten E, armed forces and cost of living crisis. So um, put forward by Yinka Adenaran and uh, George Fielding from the Labour Party. So um, these, obviously with the city's um, strong naval um, tradition, there's a, um, a strong um, active um, service and veterans are, of service um, linked, to the, linked to the city. Um, and it talks about there being uh, deeply concerning that service personnel in Portsmouth are being forced um, to turn to, um, to food banks um, and concerning um, that... Um, that um, charities and regimental um, associations continue to have to provide cost of living grants and food vouchers uh, to veterans and, and their families. So it, it calls on the council to ask the leader to write to the Secretary of State for Defence uh, to release the Armed Forces Pay Review Board for 23-4, uh, which I think actually might have been announced actually in the, was it one of the uh, pay review bodies that actually was announced in the last week? So since this agenda was posted, I think there might have been a development on that. Yep. Um, but it also um, asks um, for, because it talks about that being overdue, um, but it also asks um, about additional basic financial support to service personnel uh, by capping uh, food and accommodation charges for the next uh, 12 months and, and asks the leader to uh, write to Portsmouth-based food banks and local forces charities to, to thank them for uh, supporting armed forces uh, personnel uh, uh, and veterans. So... Uh, Again, I don't think that's going to be one that anyone's going to be just spending any time disagreeing with. No, I just it's one it's one which I find, of course, we're going to thank those in the third sector that support such work. So no one, you know, you're not going to vote against it. But there's an element of writing to the Secretary of State and uh, any motion for which that's the principal aim. I, I, I struggle with it as gesture politics. You know, it, it, it's 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 look we're doing something I, I you know again nothing nobody's going to vote against it but you know is it going to make a material difference I, i'm not sure that it will um well we we will see but the, obviously the, the council doesn't decide those things but it, no it's it's leader sending a sending a letter to the to the minister responsible um in the in westminster would um would i'm um, you know would hopefully carry some sort of credence and some sort of um relevance um and some sort of um, add some sort of volume to uh to the voices of those it, it seeks to help so uh we hope so so uh 10f unauthorized encampments oh so um 
so by uh, Ryan Brent and uh, Matthew Atkins uh, from the Conservative group. Um, so um, this is calling on the council basically to um, to form a cross-party working group uh, with the remit of ensuring all Portsmouth City Council-owned land um, that's at risk of unauthorised encampments um, is adequately protected from future incursion uh, and calls on it to report via Cabinet uh, back to the Council um, within three meetings, so by December Council. So it's again, note that kind of most of these are, I'm finding it interesting to see that that's quite a development over the last couple of years, that they're being more specific about the timescales for, for these things happening, because yep. otherwise they, they, it must be a tendency for them to, to drift. Um, that, um, that it looks at the location and duration of all uh, PCC land unauthorised encampments within the last seven years, breakdown of the costs associated to the council services uh, for each event. Um, and what preventative measures have been put in place as a response to such incursions uh, and to um, indulge, uh, sorry, and to um, engage in some consultation and support uh, conducted with residents in the locality and time frame uh, of both. So, uh, you know, again, um, these things are happening. What's the council doing about them? What record is, the, is, there, is there of them? Um, so uh, I think that will be an interesting thing to have reported back and understand what the size and the severity of that um, of that concern is which i guess is the point of having a report yes and to be honest this is one where i you know when i initially read it i thought it was more gesture politics you know a bit of red meat being thrown to the uh to the, the those on the right of politics um but actually when you read it through it is it is more measured and it's you know it, it is an element of you know the council officers play this you know, across the whole region, play this cat and mouse game with unauthorised encampments and, you know, look to get them moved on. And uh, there is inevitably some clean up afterwards that the council taxpayers of Portsmouth will pick up those in the encampments, obviously not paying council tax and not paying it in Portsmouth. So, you know, there, there is very much an element here of, of understanding the size and scope of the issue and, and the question of, could we do more to stop the good people of Portsmouth having to pick up these costs? Seem seems like a reasonable ask. Um, yeah, indeed, these these all seem like reasonable things. Um, you know, to be to be asking in that respect and asking the the cabinet to um to report back on on what its findings are. Um, again, um, entirely entirely useful for for future discourse so um we'll see what what comes back from that one as they as they as they come back later in the year so looks to me if we look at it holistically um that we're gonna that there's going to be i can't see there being too much contentious in there to be honest um no i th i think um i think with some of them then there might be uh, with some of the motions that there, there might be um some dis um some disagreement here and there um but i think by, by and large um yes everybody would want to make sure that um that um that those services have their funding extended or that pride has its um has its contribution funding funding extended um there might be some that that um, that disagree with that but it's um I think, by and large, the, the most of those things are um, calling on the council to be doing things or looking into things and reporting back. So that, in that sense, I don't see that that's a that's going to take that's going to get a lot of objection. Nope, nope. So that brings us on to our last fascinating topic, which isn't a notion of motion, 
but uh but uh how would we describe it um yeah so uh so the last one that we wanted to look at is actually item item nine rather than uh one of the notices of, of motion uh but this one is um so um there was a report um or a letter um given to uh given to cabinet um that this this point is basically um reporting back to full council to discuss um but it's um an application from um from the nhs uh trust at um, qa who are currently having some um having their um their a new emergency uh, department built um asking for portsmouth city council to uh, to effectively waive the community infrastructure levy so um, just to remind viewers, that's the that's the charge. Um, so the levy that any developer um, has to has to pay a contribution uh, towards, um, based on the, the the there's all sorts of categorizations and, and tables as to as to how that's worked out. Um, has to make within it, any sort of development that they're making within uh, a uh, within basically within within a city, and that usually goes to uh, to the ward um, in which uh, that development sits. Um, although it may not be the case that all of that actually goes to uh, yeah. specifically to that ward, um, but essentially um, QA are on the hook for about half a million pounds worth of um, community infrastructure levy contribution because of the new emergency department, and they're asking the council to waive it so that they can spend um, that half a million pound contributing towards a nine hundred thousand pound CT scanner that they'd like to um, that they want to actually in install. I think this is absolutely outrageous. I am. I am spitting mad from Koshima at this one because I went away and did a little bit of digging and the new the new accident in emergency department is a 58 million pound development so the counts the infrastructure levy is about 1% of the total budget and I I think the I think the behavior of the Portsmouth NHS trust here is is I'm going to go as far as disgraceful because effectively, it, it is it is looking Portsmouth City Council in the eyes and saying, well, you know, you could take this money off of us, but there wouldn't be a we need a scanner. Um, I, I think it's I think it's verging on moral blackmail, Simon. I, I am I am. The more I've thought about this one, the more incensed I've become. Um, I do find it difficult to deal with things when you sit on the fence so much. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I, you know, neutrality is is often my middle name, but in this case, I, I am angry from Cosham because let's be honest, the 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 ward in which QA sits is Cosham. So Portsmouth City Council has been asked to give away the Cosham and Wimmerings. CIL money um well thanks you know you know brilliant cheers for that well I mean uh, and just to clarify this um this isn't uh, this is reporting back to the council um to full mm. council it's not asking them for uh for the decision um uh, and my understanding that I'm I'm not aware that the um that the councillors in the in the ward concerned which are our councillors because we both live in the ward um yep. so um talking about disclosure there um we're not aware of them uh, of them being against it um but we understand that the the administration has has written to the trust to say this this won't this can't happen again um because the hospital doesn't just serve the people of Portsmouth um it serves people from a wider area and i guess that kind of speaks to a point that you know when we look at some of the other some of the, you know when we look at um you know, look at the uh, the uh, the the motion there about uh, about funding the the stroke recovery service. 
Well, I'll tell you um, what, we'll, we'll pay well, for it using the half a million pound that, that Portsmouth Hospital Trust owes us. Let's link the two together. Give us our half a million quid and we'll spend it on the stroke recovery service. Well, I'm sure the stroke recovery service would uh, would uh, dream of, of such a such a level of, of funding. I don't know how much their their funding oh. is, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it's probably not that much. Um, so, but I, I think there's a there's an element here of um, actually is that is that by planning or is that by design that um, that that's not already taken into consideration? Surely it can't be a surprise oh. to an organisation like an NHS trust that community infrastructure levy um, exists and that they would need to contribute to it. I mean, you could argue that that's one part of if you like national infrastructure so the nhs give it essentially giving money to uh, to a local council but the reverse is happening here is is actually that that local council will be is is it's being asked to have made a decision to deprive itself of that funding because the right thing for the people of portsmouth and the people that um that the hospital serves is of course that there is a that there's a replacement ct scanner um installed but it it strikes of the of how the funding model works for our local and national government that it pits uh, priorities against each other and um, in a competing sort of sense. So I, I think it's I think it speaks to a to a wider malaise in um, in how those how those funding models work. Well, I I didn't, didn't no I'm going to disagree <laughs> okay. because there's an element of you know all all politics is about is about pensions, isn't it? And often in the four years we've been doing this, it's financial tensions about what do you choose to spend your money on and how do you choose to raise the money that you need to spend on stuff? And I, and so I think you're correct in that sort of wider framework. There will be tensions. But for me, uh, uh, again, as somebody who's who's worked on capital projects in the past and is still working on, on them now, if a 58 million pound capital build project is going to have uncertainty in it you know it, it, it is you you are not going to three years out have priced up the cost of nuts and bolts and screws and all of the above you, you have to put a contingency on top and for me if you spent all your contingency and you haven't got the money left over from for a scanner the, the you know they will be in different budgets the the capital budget to build a building will not be the same as the capital budget to to buy more scanners and so i am just i, I think the conflation of the two by portsmouth hospital trust uh, as i say i i'm on i'm at the moral blackmail point on this um and i also think that our councillors have a duty of care to say no to this because I will find it mass hypocrisy if everybody votes for this, if there is a vote, and waves it through. And then when we get to 10B about the stroke recovery service, if everybody starts making clucking noises and stroking their collective beards metaphorically, and says, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd better find more. We need to find more money from that, from the budget that we've already agreed. You have the bloody money. Portsmouth hospital trust owes you the money get them to pay the bloody bill use the money to pay for the stroke recovery service um i um i, I get the point that you're, you're trying to make just to clarify i don't think you can actually use community infrastructure levy 
funding for those sorts of things it has to be very specific um things and it's usually things rather than um than someone's um wages yep. for example Re so it's, you know it, yeah yeah yep, yeah yep. so it, so it, so again like you like you were saying earlier these are different line items in someone's budget so yep. you know one's one's about um capital expenditure and um and um investment in res in uh, physical res resources and inf infrastructure um and, and um the other ones are di a completely different level level um or a different line item of um of your equipment expenditure so um i, I, I do f yeah I, I i don't know enough about this to un to understand how the hospital trust got to its point where suddenly it realized that actually oh hang on a minute we haven't got this half a million yeah um I can't believe that they didn't figure that factor that into their calculations in the first place. So why, you know, are they to be blunt? Are they just chancing their arm because this is a, you know, this is something that, that they might uh, be able to be able to get cut because other costs have risen during the course of the project that mean that um, that's gone beyond their whatever contingency that they might have had. Obviously, we don't we don't have someone no, from, no. The, from the trust on no. on the show to to be able to put their um, their right of reply in and to and to kind of respond to that. So it will be. I, you know, I, I don't think this is actually a decision item. I think this is just a reporting item. So I think the decision on this is done. Wow. Um, so, um, so in that respect, um, you know, that's, um, but it, it is an interesting point. I think we've taken different points about why it's interesting and how, and how it's interesting. Um, but, but for me, it's, um, it, you know, from a, from, from a taxpayer's perspective, taxpayers aren't necessarily as aware of, to which entity they're paying their tax and what that tax is spent on. Um, and the council is being asked in this case to effectively subsidize something that should be being paid for by national government. Oh, ab absolutely. And, and, and it, it is the piece sometimes I, I, I do struggle with um, in terms of, you know, as you say, if this is just a report to say, yeah, sorry, we gave the half a million pound back because we didn't really need it. Um, I, I'm going to find it. I, I find it very difficult then for for people to be sucking air through their teeth that the two items that say, "Please, can we have some more money for X and Y?" Um, yeah, and I get they're in different pots, they're in different funding. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm I've become increasingly unhappy with this one as the uh, as the weekend's gone on. Maybe it's there, the there effect was... of the motorcycles. Um, um maybe so I, I i i don't know i thought they were cars to be honest with you i didn't think they, i didn't think they they're, the motorcycle. like motorbikes. they're motorcycles oh, christ okay yeah um well um okay um so uh, yeah that that kind of takes us through our whistle stop tour of the of the agenda so we'll we'll see what happens on tuesday we'll we'll have a we'll have we'll have an ear pasted to that to to understand um how that how those things kind of went um um but I, um i guess that's you know if we're, as we're starting to get towards that end of term feel aren't we i think that um i think parliament rises on thursday they they they've seen enough um so they're going to go off on their holly bobs um and i think we, we we have to wait for another full council meeting till am i right mid september um this is where he hurriedly gets his calendar out oh sorry wasn't trying to throw you under the bus i think we we no. can agree that we know that nothing is going to happen in august so so uh like parliament um, and the council um, yeah the next full council's in october wow 
but we we're going to work harder than that aren't we so we will be taking our summer break as we do after next week's show which as i say is a must watch um with steve pitt and uh we're then gonna take the rest of august the rest of july all of august and we'll come back sometime in early september to delight you with our insightful uh picking over of the bones of local and national politics indeed i mean the interesting thing will be next week obviously that happening that being after the full council meetings taken place where steve basically schools both of us on how we've utterly misinterpreted the situation on that one so i i look forward to to us um um to us maybe being wrong on that one and we'll see we'll we'll see what we um we'll see what the outcome is and we'll see um we'll see how that one lands Marvellous. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Do join us next week, 627. Like, follow, subscribe, um, wherever you're um, finding us um, on Facebook or on YouTube so that you make sure you don't miss out on, on our next threads. show. On threads. Or on threads. Yeah, we're, we're, we're even on threads. So, um, yes, do follow us um, for there just to make sure you don't miss out on any of your any of your notifications. Not- notifications notifications i've not honestly been drinking it's only tea and water i've got here um so we'll see you next week at 627 uh where we hear from the esteemed steve Pitt. thank you for listening to this episode of the pompey politics podcast if you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live we normally broadcast live 627 p.m on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See, it's easy. <laughs>